This is Coda Radio, episode 158 for June 15th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, digging a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those two those two fine sponsors as well this year' fantastic show goes on. Me, my name is Chris, and joining us every single week, why that's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic, who is most definitely always established over on that East Coast. Howdy, Mr. Dominic. Praise it, brother. Praise it. <laughs> I am praising it. It is, uh, I don't care what Siri says, it is hot in the studio today. I'm down in pretty much my skivvies doing the Coda Radio program on a Monday with you. I'm feeling good, well, too. It's a good Monday here. hit rated R right from the jump. I love it. You bet, buddy. You so, bet. So this is a very special episode, Chris. I know you put notes together, and once again, I'm ignoring them. Oh, good. Uh, I, ha- I am here with one purpose, mm. to save a life. Nay, a soul. A a soul on today's program. Today, episode 158. This is the week we do it, where we save a soul. I'm, this is, I'm saving one soul today. You know, I got to go a little, I got I to gotta pull the curtain back. I got uh, I, I to bring the audience in on something they're not privy to. Uh, I, I, it was about 159, 160 weeks ago. Uh, Mike and I were at a bar. Uh, he was a little drunk, and he said, Chris, I have a mission, and I need a way. I need a way to fulfill that mission. I said, uh, what is it, Mike? He said, out there, there is a lost soul that I must save. It is my calling, and I need a platform to do that. I don't know when it'll happen. I can't promise you that it might not. It might take years. I can't promise you how long it'll take. But we must persevere. So here we have been for 158 weeks. Is this the soul we've been searching for? This is the soul. Now, you'll know it when we get to it, and I think it's towards the end, looking <laughs> at the notes. But I want you to picture this, this poor young man alone in Brooklyn in an alley with a rusty heroin needle about to inject it in his arm. Whoa. This desperate, poor, poor child is in need of some saving. And I'm here. I'm here for you, my son. I am here. Wait, I don't think that was quite the right (laughs) (laughs) To eat you, Elton. All right, all right. So, yeah, that's that's one of the things coming up in today's episode of Coda Radio. Uh, Also, uh, you know, there's a lot of other ground we could cover. I'm not... I have had, I have had a hard couple of weeks. I've had a hard couple of three weeks, to be honest with you. Um, and well, in fact, I'm not going to out you as an Apple user again because that just keeps happening. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. What, what, what was that? I uh, I didn't hear oh! you. <laughs> yeah, I am back on the iPhone uh, starting about uh, two three days ago, which means I'm also back on a Pebble Watch instead of the uh, Android Wear. And I don't, we're not, we're not going to turn this into one of those episodes. No, we're not going to troll you. I only do that when you're not paying attention. Well, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it's just for a couple of days uh, until they. Well, actually, it's until they release the the uh, the fix for the S6 that that resolves the memory issues. I, I just refuse to use the phone until that's resolved. So uh, once that's patched, it's a really great phone. So once that's patched, I'm, I'm back on the S6 like uh, like in no time. So but in the meantime, in the meantime, I, I you know I got to make calls. So uh, I wanted to jump into um, well. Actually, this is kind of Apple related. We could start right. here. Kind of, this kind of was one of the reasons I made the switch again, and it was submitted by our subreddit. 
And uh, I want to talk about this just because even though we've kind of touched on this topic in some of our broader discussions, I'm starting to think this might become one of the most important topics in our industry. And it's going to affect how people monetize everything. It's going to affect how people brand and position their entire companies. And it's going to become one of the new sort of religious dividing lines that the fanboys come down upon. And it's already starting, but I think it's just the beginning. And, and I think it's going to have huge ramifications for who you target your applications for, how you monetize those applications. Uh, and, it's, and it's Tim Cook who's sort of leading the cause from Apple's standpoint because it just fits beautifully with their marketing. Uh, we talked about how he was slamming rivals. Now we have some video of it. It's, it's kind of crappy, so I'm only going to play like a minute of it. I want to play his words, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about that with you. Uh, it's sort of this is their angle and uh, sort of them versus the data collectors. And if it's even a tenable position for Apple over the long term, which I'm not sure it is, uh, but NBC has a little clip of uh, Tim Cook's speech, and I apologize if the audio is slightly crappy because he's actually at like a big you know, speech hall thing. We have strict policies that govern how all data is handled. Our networks and systems are segmented. Our hardware and software use encryption. And we have a security operations team monitoring our infrastructure 24-7. Beyond that, we have a straightforward business model that's based on selling the best products and services in the world, not on selling your personal data. We don't sell advertisers any information from your email content, from your messages, or your web browsing history. We don't try to monetize the information you store on your iPhone or in iCloud. All right, I'll stop him there because it's getting uh, boring. Uh, but he goes on to talk about building building an encryption and uh, customer privacy, and not just you know for uh, terrorists. But um, you know, I want to I want to before we continue the conversation, I want to take an aside here and say, for the sake of this argument, we're going to just take Tim Cook at his words. We're going to say he's a CEO of a publicly traded company and he's yep. legally bound by some of the things he says publicly. We're going to take him at his words, but we're going to also accept that if, if if what he's saying is true, then there's a lot of other competition to Apple that's going to eat their cake in this area. Yolophone, Firefox OS, anything open source. If that's, if that's truly the campaign they want to push, they're eventually going to push to something that's going to eat their lunch. But let's take his words for face value on what he's saying and that Apple is truly positioning themselves as we don't have access to our customers' data. It's not going to ever be our business model to monetize data. This is a rallying call that I think the entire industry is going to pick up when it, for the people who fall on the other side of the Google camp. I think it's going to become one of the def- – it's becoming – it is becoming one of the defining uh, ch- uh, differences between how Silicon Valley companies – are funded, and I, I think, I think it's going to become sort of the new fanboy religion. I think you're going to, you know. So here's where I here's why I think that, <clears throat> because to me, I've started to internalize a little bit of these values. So I got a little weirded out again. Uh, you know what? A, it, it gets me every time is uh, I start to look at all of the data in whole that Google has about me, and I get a little weirded out. So I started using Google Fitness, uh, yeah, Google Health, or Google whatever they call it. I started using Google Keep, and I started using Google Photos, and I've been using Dictation, and it really starts to paint. A, it, you get you get all the location data that's in every single photo I take, plus all the other faces. So that means you get <clears throat> they have now built for my entire backlog of all of my photos an entire social graph without me ever having a, to have any social connections to any of these people. Some of the people they now know I'm connected to, I have no connections to on social media. And now they know I now now they now they're starting to make links and references to them in my other Google re- results. 
it's just kind of creeping me out a little bit. And so <clears throat> I try. I decided to walk that back a little bit longer and see how I feel about that. And I just, I, I just, I wanted to make note of it here in the Coda Radio program because I don't know what where we can go with the discussion at this point, other than this is happening. But I think it's a much bigger deal than we've been really even giving it credit to, even though we've been talking about it a bit. I think it's a really huge thing. What are your thoughts? It's a huge thing, but from a you know indie developer, really any kind of developer, right? If you ever want to do an app or anything, I don't know that this is going to help you, right? I mean, Apple or other big tech companies needed to take this stand in the early 2000s. Um, I mean, one of the big things we always talk about, and according to some people on YouTube I always bitch about, is that it is very, 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 very hard to charge for software, right? Well, this is why. This is the reason, because companies, but, but really Google, right? I mean, the main offender here is Google in that case. Make money off your data. Now, I, I probably want to walk offender back a little bit. There's nothing illegal or illicit about what they're doing, right? Um, but it does devalue software, right? Google Docs devalues things like Office. Or right, but can I just to play devil's competitor. advocate, because I like where you're going with Go this. Ahead. and So I just kind of built the case how it creeps me out. However, I have to recognize that by monetizing the user instead of the product, you are able to bring the cost of the product way down and get that product to way more people. Schools, kids, people that don't have enough money to buy a $1,000 laptop and a $500 cell phone. Like That's a ton of people, and that's a really important group of people. And that translates to more people that your software can run in front of. So I'm not oblivious to there is sort of a benefit to humanity in sort of a broader sense, in the sense that a lot more people have access to the Internet and, and apps and communication well, and email. Well, yes, but, no, really, but you're like, destroying you're destroying a whole bunch of viable small to medium-sized businesses yes. in the process, yep. right? Yep. So, so I would say the good and bad are, are probably a net wash. Because um, think about it, you know, at least in the United States, small business employs more people than big business, right? So I, I could see an alternative version of the world where all these little free web apps are actually subscription services. And there's a thriving ecosystem of online document uh, solutions, right? Um, online email solutions, right? Things like that. And, of course, prices would go down because it's online and there's, you're not shipping a box to a store. You're not printing on plastic disc, blah, 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 blah. But once you hit that free mark, you really you, you do a couple things. One, the people making it, let's just say company, but it could be an individual, right, need the financial strength to make it with very little return for a long time, right? Because kind of the big thing in here is, Chris Fisher's data is not really worth anything, right? Michael Dominic's data is not worth anything. But a million of us, the data is worth something. But you need the, the financial strength, the technical strength to build data centers, to do all the things to harvest this data effectively. Does that, does that kind of make sense? It does. However, I kind of argue that uh, Michael and Chris's data is worth nothing because if that was the case, they wouldn't be giving people unlimited photo storage. I mean that there is – so if you translate what they're giving you for you to use their services, they're giving us gigabytes and gigabytes of storage and massive amounts of data processing. There is a ton of value associated with what they're willing to trade to get our data. And the only reason it's even profitable for them because they're able to do it in mass. They are – if they if you look at what they, what, they, what they do to get one person's data, 
that's an amazing feat. It shows you there is genuine value. And I suspect that as people like Apple, who sort of represent high-end, valuable products, begin to champion this, the other companies will begin to champion this, people will start to say, my data is worth more. My personal data is worth – I think it's going to change the way people think about their privacy and not so much in the, I don't want Google spying on me because I don't – I think that's – people already realize that's going on at some people. I don't know if average users do based on conversations I've had, but I know a lot of people do. And they don't really care because they're like, ah, I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. Yeah, but yeah. when the marketing message starts to change their opinion about the value of what they have to hide, the fact that there could actually be a dollar amount associated with that, I think that's really when it's going to start to move. Uh, maybe, right? But at the end of the day, what are Apple and, and I think Microsoft has been – actually, Microsoft started this, right? Everybody's giving Apple credit, but Microsoft was the first on the bandwagon. Even when Apple and Google were still, you know, partners on a number of projects, Microsoft was was really right. pushing. The- I think the reason why the Microsoft one doesn't resonate as much is because Microsoft has a pretty sophisticated ad network. Microsoft does do some user tracking. Microsoft. Well, it feels insincere, right? Because. Yeah. You know, they tried to be Google with Bing, right. and then they failed. Yeah, so all of and, a and I they think the reason why they think the right. reason why Apple feels a little more legit is because they have overpriced hardware, and everybody knows that, and everybody knows that's where all their profit margin in is. And iAd is an absolute joke. Well, Apple wants your money at the Apple Store or at Apple Online, right? Your relationship with Apple as a customer is very, very simple. You give them a credit card number, they charge you quite a bit for their hardware, and you're done. Right, that is the end of your relationship until next year when they convince you to buy a new version that you don't need. Uh, Google is a little more complicated, right? And even Microsoft, because now Microsoft is, you know, they're trying to get you to buy services and subscriptions. And I don't, I don't see, I guess I don't agree with you. I, I think this will be a marketing point for Apple. But I don't think we're going to see a change in general user behavior. Mm, I do. I think just like so many companies over time adopted open, and they just sort of bastardized what open meant. But, you know, open API, open this, open that. I think private, privacy, encrypted, secured. uh, I think those are going to start becoming terms that are just like thrown into product names. Maybe, but still, someone looking for a software solution, right? An individual goes on, for sake of argument, let's say the App Store. There's a $10 app and there's a free app. Just about every time they download the free app and they use the free app. Doesn't it Doesn't it just take, though, an iPhone user and an Android user standing next to each other and going, the iPhone user going, so you know the data, they, they like collect a whole bunch of data on your phone? And then somebody going, yeah, I've heard something about that. What is that about? Well, you know, Google makes money off collecting data, and Apple makes the money off selling the iPhones. I think that's why the iPhone costs a little more. I can see that conversation. Wait a minute. Most of the data, you're not protected just by virtue of being on iOS at all. Of course. Of course. And plus, most people have all the Google and Facebook apps on there. Right. Right. I I understand. I'm not talking about – I'm not even saying Apple's actually going to be the more private company. I'm saying that's what the message is going to be to the industry. Well, Apple doesn't care about your data really, right? I mean you could say that that. they have no interest in your data. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't buy it. I mean, yes, Android is very, you know, siphoning your data to Google. But really, most of your data is going to be in third-party apps with the exception of Docs and Gmail, right? Yeah, I, I go through phases. Like, I go through phases, and then it hits me that they've reached a new aggregate in my life. Like, uh, what really got me was the fitness tracking combined with every every voice dictation I've ever done 
is available up on my Google dashboard for playback. Every every place I drive to, I can hit I can go hit replay and watch it all back. Like, and that's just what they're showing me. And it and then it, it just. My hangouts are going. Th- my my text messages are going through there. So my location, how, even down to what are they what are they doing in aggregate with my fitness information? Um, I, I, so I just I just thought, oh, I just when I when I think about it in whole, I think wow, they can really they've really got something. And if I keep doing this for years and years and years, the more I feel like I get into it, the more I feel like I can't get out of it. I'm, I'm worried that I'm crossing a point where I'm finding too much usefulness in it. Well, there there is an argument for you know some of Google services are objectively better, right? Like I recently had to switch off of uh, Office three six five onto Docs, right? Because or rather apps, just because they're better. Like it works better for the way I work. Um, I guess I wonder if you think privacy is a feature. Is there not a opportunity for Google to say, "Listen, you can pay us ten bucks a month for this service, and we won't track your data." <laughs> Yeah, I just don't. You know, that's like, yeah. Or is it worth more than that's like asking? Will Apple release an a free iPhone that says, "Look, uh, all right, on this one, we'll just monetize your data." I don't think it's in the DNA of the company. Philosophically, not. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think they could do it, and uh, I don't know where that leaves us because it's not like we have a champion here. But it's I again, I just look at it more from a a, 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 this is going to be the message in the industry over the next few years, and I think it's going to be an interesting one. And if you're smart, you could capitalize on it somehow as you watch it. Oh yeah, we're gonna. See, I think we're gonna see a lot of third-party software vendors touting encryption and privacy. Where yeah. it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it's gonna be total buzzwords. You have no idea like how the encryption is implemented necessarily. There'll be some people out there that uh, that get a little more serious about it. Hey, uh, let's talk about getting serious for a moment. Let's talk about our first sponsor this week. It's an opportunity for you guys to take your skill set up to the next level. I love Linux Academy, and you can get the quarter radio discount when you go to linuxacademy.com/coders. Now I know what you're thinking, Chris. Why? Why Linux Academy? Why? There's a lot of ways to learn online. From ways you know you can go get a book. Uh, you can go sit down in a class. I don't know if you have time for that and want to spend that kind of money. Plus, that's super restricted and narrow what you're going to learn. What I love about Linux Academy is a subscription service that has been set up by true, passionate Linux enthusiasts, people who know all of the tech ecosystem around Linux. So I'm talking about all the things associated with that, like you know, OpenStack and, and uh, AWS, and of course, you could, the things on top of that, right on top of all these technologies, like Ruby on Rails and PHP, and all the stuff that you would need to learn to really deploy solutions on an entire Linux stack or an AWS stack or something like that. You, you can really, really go in depth, because that's what these guys are super passionate about. That's what they have focused on. Linux enthusiasts, educators, They've come together with developers and created the Linux Academy platform, and they're adding new content all the time. I love the scenario-based labs because you get real hands-on experience, and you get to do something in that system. Oh, because oh, here's what they do. This is what this is what makes this so great, is you pick your courseware. Okay, you go choose what course you're going to take. You'd say, oh, I want one of these distros. You've got seven plus to choose from. All the courseware adjusts to that distro, and then you get timing indicator and tracks them right where you're going to be at and your percentage and all of that, boom, on the dashboard. But this is the great part, like with these scenario-based labs. You get to a certain point in the courseware, they just spin up a VM right there. It's like a v- it's like VPS service built into your education service. So they've got the VPS aspects, and then you can SSH in there and start working on the rig and actually push and turn the knobs, the real things. That means when you go do it in production, you've actually done it before. And that's the kind of confidence you really, really want when you're working in production. Plus, you've got instructor help always available. And I love these nuggets. So... With Linux Academy, it's really your own learning plan, however you want to do it. In fact, they have literally things called learning plans where you go in there and say, I've got this much time on these days, generate a custom courseware plan for me. That's really cool, especially if you've got tight availability, but you still want to move things forward. 
I've been in that position before. That's also where Nuggets come in. Nuggets are a new feature. There's all kinds of new features they're rolling out. They, ha- they really treat Linux Academy like a platform, and they push out new platform features all the time. So Nuggets are single how-tos. They'll walk you through doing a specific task, you know, something not totally part of a huge course, like a single video lesson, somewhere between 2 and 60 minutes. And you can go in there. You Actually, right now, go take a look. If you go to linuxacademy.com, I think it's slash Nuggets. Yeah, yeah. Go to linuxacademy.com slash nuggets. And uh, here's like a new one. They just created up creating AWS snapshot bash backup script. Hmm. VirtualBox, clone a VM and change a UID using a command line. That is really nice if you're going to du- duplicate a VirtualBox machine because if you don't change that UUID, you're going to have problems running VirtualBox in headless mode. Just a quick nugget on how to do that. And building a firewall with IP tables are all recent nuggets they've added. You can just slot those in when you have free time. So many great options. New Red Hat courseware has been added. Check all of this stuff out. Just do it by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That'll give us a little support for your visit, but also it'll give you the Coder Radio discount. You can try out Linux Academy for a while and see what you think. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you, Linux Academy, for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, program, program. All right, uh, Mr. Dominic. Would you be? Uh, would you mind before we get into saving a soul? Would you mind if we just spent a little time uh, discussing the blog post that uh, was from this guy who worked at Yelp? Yes, a soul who's already been lost. Yes, of course. Yeah, his heart has been lost, and the, and the subreddit uh, p- pointed this out to us. And uh, I kind of wanted to go in here and just sort of. Sort of I'll, I'll read a few highlights from his original post, and then we can discuss. It's a topic that is very near and dear to my heart because. I, I truly believe that my IT burnout led to me just bailing from the industry entirely and becoming a podcaster. And so if there's anything I can do to help you from having to bail out of the IT industry, uh, I would love to do that. And this is a great take on burnout in a, in a way we've never discussed before. Uh, so it's over on a eev.ee. It's uh, the Fuzzy Notepad blog. And uh, he writes, I quit the tech industry. This is Friday, June 12th. It'll be my last day at Yelp. I don't ever want to look for another tech job or another job at all, ever. Now, this is great. He also includes a visual of uh, – oh, let me illustrate. This is how time feels. You see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday it's beautiful <laughs> and sunny. This is how time feels when you have a full-time job and half or more of the day is completely consumed with dark, cloudy skies. It was a while for him coming, uh, but he noticed it at the end of a break. His breaking point was during a two-week vacation at the end of May. The first, fe- the first week was relaxing, productive, and glorious. I think we've, if you've ever been near burnout, you've experienced like the phase in your vacation where you finally relax, and then the phase in your vacation where you realize, oh, God, I have to go back to work, and then it kind of kills the rest of your vacation. I says, that was the warning sign. That was a striking difference, and I knew I had to stop. I have been in point. That was the, when I read this paragraph, I was like, oh, man, yep, I have been here. It's nothing to do with Yelp specifically, says. I just don't care about Yelp's problems any more than I care about Uber's problems or Yo's problems or anyone else's problems. They're interesting for a while, but they're also the same self-inflicted wounds everyone seems to deal with. Why is this slow? Why is this broken? How can we keep this old code limping along indefinitely without having to rewrite it? How does this thing have a former employee or uh, how does this thing a former employee wrote even work at all? They're cute puzzles and I can get into solving them for a while, but I don't care about them. Because they're not my problems. They were just dropped in my lap along with a canvas sack and a dollar sign on it. Even more technical things at Yelp, even the most interesting technical things Yelp is doing, probably involve reinventing something hundreds of other companies have done. 
because the existing things didn't work with their infrastructure or they're written in the wrong language or they're just kind of bad at maybe doing it from scratch would be better for them. And again, I stress, this is nothing about Yelp specifically. This is the nature of our stupid, backwards, fledgling industry. He says, maybe I'm an asshole for even complaining about this. It's not like I'm uniquely hard off here. Quite the opposite. I've been away with a really nice setup. I've worked remotely my whole career from states with no income tax. But now he's not going back to work. He started a Patreon, and he's just going to work on some of his own projects. Uh, and I, 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 was, I was kind of fascinated by this, but what really, what really got me was the Hacker News commentary on this. And this is where I think I want to spend a little time. Uh, this first one came from uh, Probable Fiction, or Probably Fiction, and this one really resonated with me. Office culture is draining. Some people aren't cut out for it. Additionally, programmers tend to push themselves too hard for too long out of a misplaced sense of loyalty to the company. They're being paid huge sums and sometimes feel that they need to work extremely hard to deserve all that they're being paid. They don't see that the work they're doing is extremely value in and itself. Employment is a business arrangement. A coder doesn't owe the company anything more than their agreed-upon hours of work. Office culture is draining, and some of us are just not cut out for it. I agree. What if some of us, like, literally are just not wired for the office? And uh, another commenter went on to say, uh, MP Delahan said, I found out a while back, and this is somewhat paradoxical, that if I care too much, I'm less happy. And this is the line that I discovered I have to find and walk. And this line is even harder when you're self-employed. What happens is I notice all the stuff I can't fix or that I need to fix. Oh, man, isn't that true? That's exactly where I'm at right now. And the other people get stressed and other people get stressed out making them fix it. The end result is that I stop caring quite as much, so then I get happy, and I start caring too much again. The trick is finding a balance and making sure you're also defining yourself by other things. Now, here's another really important point. This is a very hard thing for creative folks to do because it feels like their art, and it's easy to always want to hit the next target, goal, or feature in a never-ending wave. The catch is they don't stop. It's a continuum. I thought that was this is all really super good insights into burnout. Office culture is super draining for some people, and that's just how some people are, I think. And caring too much is a really hard thing because if you care too much, you burn out. If you care too little, you can't get motivated. So you have to find that sweet spot for yourself. And when you're self-employed, it almost feels impossible. So these, these last few weeks have been one technical issue over and after another, and I'm starting to suspect maybe it's because it's just getting really hot in the studio. But I'm starting to run into issues I've never had in the studio before. Um, really weird stuff. And it's just getting to the point where all I see are all of the things that need to be fixed. And I, I, I'm having a hard time even thinking about the shows because all I can think about is all of the problems I need to fix. And it's really draining. This okay, is, I, let's just wind it back a touch here huh i think you're over identifying with this guy a little bit yeah and I am. you're you're adding your situation to his well not only am i overdone because i feel like exactly how he felt when he was in the it industry and now i'm feeling it all over again right now as i'm constantly inundated with uh technical well, not issues. really you you're struggling from legitimate issues right he's complaining that he's bored hmm right, we, the, the I, same I would say yeah i would say maybe so okay Okay, I mean, I would say he's complaining that he just doesn't care about those problems. Right. So I read this because it was everywhere. And yeah. I, I had a very visceral negative reaction to it. Tell me about it, buddy. You know, there are plenty of people digging ditches, take hauling away, 
you know, feces-filled refuge, doing all kinds of horrible, nasty jobs. And you're sitting in your house making probably 150 200 working for Yelp, maybe, in a state with no income tax, which is another way to say a state with a low cost of living relative to, let's say, California, New York, and New Jersey, right, which have extremely high costs of living. So you're raking in cash. You have a financial security that literally billions of people don't. Yeah, he, right? when he quit, like, he cashed out his stock and paid off his house. Right. So you're – I hate the phrase first world problems, but if it was ever, ever accurate, this is the guy. <laughs> and I'm sure he's a lovely guy and I'm sure his mother loves him and all that kind of stuff. But my god. He's a jackass. Exactly, Barack. Exactly. Oh, I'm solving the same stupid scalability problems that every company has. Here's the thing. I, I think why I identify with it is the core issue and the problem is after a certain while. It's not while, the same. It is, it is not the same. Hold on. Well, cannot, before, I won't just, confuse. Just, no, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm ahead, not going to confuse it with my current. Going back to the IT situation. The problem is when you don't care is they need you to care. The people you're working for need you to care. They want you to care. They're paying you to care. And you start to get very guilty about that because you don't care after a while and you can't get yourself to care. But in order for you to do your job, you kind of need to care a little more. And me, when I stop caring, like my problem is if I don't care about the task I'm doing, I'm very bad at it. And not intentionally. It's just maybe it's, maybe, maybe that is literally what ADD is. I don't know. But if, I, if I'm not 100% into the task I'm doing at the moment, I tend to not do it very well. And especially if, if it's something more intricate and, and tedious, then it, if I'm not into it, it really falls apart. And I, so for me, I, one of the reasons I got out of, out of IT completely is I realized once I stopped caring, I started being a really bad system administrator, a really bad IT guy. And I felt bad about that. Okay. Here's my problem, right? Self-employed people have every license, in my opinion, to be crazy stressed and crazy unbalanced. Because the reality is every two weeks you don't put your left hand out and say, where's my paycheck, right? You, you have to, for lack of a better term, work for it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in a slump for a day, you may literally lose money that day. Oh, yeah. Where generally speaking, someone working from home from Yelp still gets a paycheck <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. you know, probably has some sort of support. Where as a consultant, if you're having a bad days, not only does your client not care, right? They're probably pissed. Um, so you think it you matters a lot more when you're self-employed because there's more online. So now take my current situation where, like, every day right. I end up fighting some technical problem instead of working on a show. That well, sounds me, like you're having a heat issue that you need to get some sort maybe. of uh, heating and cooling people in there and figure out why your stuff's overheating. I mean, that's that that happens, right? Those kind of things happen. I had a similar issue when I had when I had the office last year. Uh, the old one, it was you know my computer was shutting down. Because the air conditioning didn't work for a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's mm-hmm. 100 degrees. You know that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, it's dangerous, in my opinion, to give this too much uh, sympathy. Because simply speaking, you know, had this guy been that burned out and Yelp fired him, what would he have done? Well, he would have gone down to the unemployment office and collected unemployment till it took him a week to get another high-paying developer job. Right? He might have posted a ranty blog post about working for oh, a company, and that's it. Right. If you screw up, if you have too many bad weeks, well, there's no unemployment insurance to protect you, right? There's no, there's no net there. So for, for you or, or rather this, uh, this gentleman to say, 
I'm so burned out. I'm so bored. So I took all my money and I paid off my house and then I cashed in my stock and I'm just going to go work on what I want to work on. Sounds like to me a seventh grader saying, I don't want to write this essay. I'm going to go draw a picture. Hmm. I don't um, care this, about this topic. Right. This is unbelievably privileged to me. This is unbelievably like awful and immature. Hmm. I, I can't imagine a scenario where you or any other profession would say that, right? I mean, there's always the guys who's like, oh, I was a lawyer and I opened a coffee shop. But guess what? They bust their ass opening that coffee shop, right? They're not going on – and to go on Patreon – which is, yeah. you know, it's one thing when a yeah. podcast yeah. network yeah. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. someone well, who's been doing open source asks for money on Patreon. For someone who is working on proprietary commercial software. He does do some open code. No, he does do some open code. But, yeah, I do follow your meaning there. Here's where right. – This where, is disgusting. Yeah. My take on it was here's the part I do truly identify with and I, I want to pass on to the audience. And that is I think there is a guilt complex that we have in this industry when we do detach a little bit and allow ourselves not to care a little bit, because I and I think we have a guilt associated with that. And I feel like what I am getting from this guy and all the comments is I think there is some legitimacy in a lot of us in this industry uh, go way too deep in, in caring and then we either burn out completely or when we begin to detach and find a healthy balance, we start to feel a little guilty about it. And what I find for myself personally is when I am in the sweet spot of being lightly detached so that I'm not devastated when things don't work correctly – uh, but invested enough that I'm still uh, constantly pushing things forward. Like if I can find that sweet spot, that's usually how I prevent ba- uh, burnout completely is riding that spot. And I, my, my message to the audience is it is a natural process sometimes to detach and become a little disinterested from time to time. It is your mind's self-healing ability to give to rebuild that back up in you, I believe. And so when I read through the comments in Hacker News and whatnot, that's kind of what I want to push forward. You're right, Mike. When I think about it in that perspective, it seems like this guy has the total luxury of being arrogant and, and really just – it is a first-world problem. And, 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 and I would go back to if you could find how to re- – if he could have found how to ride that sweet spot a little better, he could probably still have a great-paying job at Yelp. Okay, okay. Wait, 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 wait. You don't think there are accountants who feel real bad when their client gets whacked with a big IRS fine or lawyers who feel real bad when their client doesn't do well you know, in court or, or has oh, a I'm sure there's some. Or doctors who lose a kid on the table and feel real bad. Yeah, of course. They don't go quit their job and go to Patreon and ask people to support them. I mean th- this idea that developers are somehow special or, or beautiful snowflakes <laughs> – and that the, the rules of economics and working just don't apply. Yes, software developers, we make a lot of money. And you are right, person who wrote this article, that at a, in fact, this is not what you're asserting, but at a certain point, any offer you get has to be above a certain dollar amount value to not be insulting. Absolutely true. But to say that you just don't want to work or that you only want to work on what you want to work on, well, I applaud you. Go open a business, get off of Patreon, and when your business fails, file bankruptcy like everybody else. <laughs> that is the real world. Patreon is disgusting. If you, I, unless you're in media or in something where the, where the margins just aren't there, if you're a software developer on Kickstarter or Patreon, that is disgraceful. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I see, a, I see Patreon being a pretty good solution, and I think you probably do, for like not open for, source. Not for this. For open not source. For this. What, about, what right. about like, say, a distro like Elementary OS? Patreon works there, right? I think you're okay there, but yeah. again, 
there is this is not what we're talking about right, right. this you is a dude who doesn't want to work anymore and you know this it, is a dude who worked for a hot shot silicon valley startup yeah making more money than god no doubt because remember he cashed in his stock and Bought his, paid off his so house in cash. I to to to, to relate. I'm going to relate to you now. I'm what I'm going to do Go is ahead. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get down in the trenches with you. I'm going to relate. So there was a podcast network. There is a podcast network. We've talked about them before. Um, they've mm. recently been going through some rather exposing Trouble. changes. And. Um, <laughs> You like that? And they've let some of their staff go. Some of their staff who was just like a technical – he was a technical director and then he became an on-air talent. And they let him go because it wasn't working anymore. And his response when he left was, hey, I'm going to start a Patreon. And he did go start a Patreon. And I I, I am a little – I am a little uh, aghast because he's gotten quite a bit of supporters uh, for doing nothing. And I – He's 298 people right now are supporting him for – I'm not sure what he does. <laughs> Nothing really. He's making $1,400, $1,500 a – well, probably not because Patreon – that Patreon number is never – you never actually get paid with that thing shows. Uh, so I, I don't I, – where I see where you're coming. Is It feels a little bit like uh, the easy route. At the same time, I don't no, know no, if it I – it feels like the stupid route. I, I, wanna, I, don't, I don't know if I fully want to label all of these as first world problems though because I do think these issues are what cause people to sort of – Maybe like you know, disconnect with one of their biggest passions. I, I, how he handled it and what his problems are, I agree with you. But I think what he struggled with, you know, I have been on vacation and then and then had that moment on my vacation trip where I went, oh shit, I got to go back. Right, but there are so one. Maybe he should have gotten a different job, right? I, certainly, if you're the I'm going to stay up all night guy and that's something that's expected of you, you're going to burn out. I'm not suggesting he should stay at Yelp forever and if they're and again he he's not he doesn't say that they treat him badly or that they treat him well. But I'm assuming unless he's totally insane that Yelp must have a culture of, you know, ship or die, right? Well, then it's your responsibility as a developer to educate management on what is actually possible. And if management fails to understand that or or refuses to, well, you know, the market's not exactly un- unkind to software developers right now. Here's what right? I say. I say, if you want to, you know, I say, here's what I think. Actually, let them all go to Patreon. Seriously. Uh-huh. No, uh-huh. seriously. Let the market decide. If people want to back them, let them. Maybe they're making something good. Let them but all the go to Patreon. The market has decided. The market has decided as a software developer with, with a reasonable amount of experience, you are guaranteed, you know, six figures, like, you know, mobile developers, right? An, an offer of 100 even if you have experience, is an insulting offer, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking 120, 125, up to 150, depending on where you are. That's the market deciding. Most people don't make money like that. Read the newspaper. Wages have gone down. Forget about stagnating. They've gone down mm. for the average I say, person. no, here's why I say it. I say let them all go to Patreon, and then... And then they'll can go. They can go make some money there, and then they'll leave all the jobs left to the people who want it, who want the jobs. <laughs> that'll sit down and do the work. Oh, leave. sure. I mean, hey, uh, listen. If, if that happens, I'll go work for half a million dollars doing Java applets. Yeah, it'll raise wages, dude. <laughs> I mean, not, not that I really want to. No, do actually, Java they'll all go to Patreon and they'll just fill all those spots with H one visas, and then just boom, bye. <laughs> By the way, Disney, good job, guys. Yeah, that was Did interesting. You hear wasn't Disney it? was uh, blackballing people now. Yeah, and uh, there was a thread going on, on our subreddit about it right now. Yeah, that's that's bad times. All right. So, so Chris, I, 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 I'm, I'm, okay. You ready to get to the? You ready to get to the feedback and start saving souls? 
I, I am ready. All right, then let me, uh, I'll take a quick moment. I'll thank DigitalOcean, and then we'll move right into that. This is good. We got some great feedback. And I got a little schooling, too. What, first, before we get to the save soul, the soul saving, uh, I have a big old correction coming my way, big old humble pie I got to eat. And then, and then we'll get to that. Uh, first, though, I got to tell you about what makes me happy, and that's DigitalOcean. Man, do they make me happy. First of all, it is so great to have a company like DigitalOcean as just sort of my go-to infrastructure. And as we do this kind of, oh, like, man. Self, the Southeast Linux Fest that we did this weekend, DigitalOcean was so critical in our ability to do a live production remotely. Uh, let me tell you a little about DigitalOcean because it could be critical whatever you're doing, building an application, testing software, or just want to learn something, or maybe you're doing live media production. DigitalOcean.com. Go there right now and remember Coder Digital. That's our promo code. Go to DigitalOcean. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. You plug in Coder Digital, you're going to get a $10 credit. And you get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM. Oh, yeah, 20 gigabyte SSD. Oh, yeah, one terabyte of transfer. Oh, yeah, and a CPU. That's right, a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and their brand newest of the newest data centers in Germany. And this sucker, now, I, I'm all like, yeah, I got Gigabit E on all my machines. I got Gigabit Ethernet. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah, Raspberry Pi, 100 megabits, cool. Yeah, uh, DigitalOcean's hypervisors have 40 Gigabit E connections. They're fastest SSDs, and that location of the data center is great to get all of their neighbors. And then you put it all on top of DigitalOcean's gorgeous user interface. Their control panel experience is the best in the business. It's super intuitive, and power users can replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API. Create droplets, DNS management, snapshots, one-click application installations. That makes it really easy to get going. And then use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. You're nothing out of pocket. You're going to get the $10 credit. Now, so look at this. 55 seconds, you got your rig going, right? You, get, you can deploy an application. You can try CoreOS. You do FreeBSD. These droplets are awesome. Plus, you can take snapshots and template them later and to snapshot before you do something crazy with it or before you deploy some test code. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And by the way, once you get the droplets set up, some of the best community tutorials on the web. Why? Because they're hiring content editors right now. They also pay people who write the tutorials. And the reason they do that is they want to make sure they have some of the highest quality stuff available. In fact, go to DigitalOcean and look at their community section. You might be able to find this stuff applies to you regardless of where you're at. I'm just saying. Uh, like they have right now up a how to configure bind as a private network DNS server. That's a great one. That's a great one. How to install PostgreSQL on Ubuntu 14.04. Another really good one. They also have some open positions for Linux system administrators. Go to DigitalOcean, go create a droplet, and start having fun with it. I made one recently for Minecraft for my son. We had one over the weekend to do file transfers and to bounce an RTMP stream off of uh, our uh, self-live gear. So critical. Oh, and of course, OwnCloud was how we moved all of the uh, edited clips around through a DigitalOcean droplet. DigitalOcean was key to our production this weekend. And it was absolutely reliable. And we could count on DigitalOcean's fastest transfers possible that maxed out our connections on both ends. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. Get a $10 credit. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Thanks, DigitalOcean. All right. So uh, I liked Lead Dog's email on Brillo, just to follow up, which you totally called. And then I totally pooped on. Uh, so the one thing that Google so. did up on I.O. was they're like, farmers can manage their farm from their Nexus phone. Herp-a-derp. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I was like, really, Googs? Like, I, I felt like it was a little demeaning to farmers, implying that a very complex, sophisticated farm 
w- could be ran from a phone. I felt like it was saying simple farmers can manage their simple farm on a simple phone, and I felt like it was the tech elite like being totally oblivious to how complicated a farm actually is to manage. However, Lee Dog writes in and says, Long-time listener, first-time emailer, love the show. I heard your comments last week about Brillo's potential role in the architectural, or I'm sorry, the agricultural industry. And as a five-year egg worker and a coder, I have to say, it's not naive for Google to see their product as a farm management tool. Keyword, management. I worked on a large to mid-sized farm that supplied berries to a major part of the U.S. I worked both in the office and in the field, and yes, I did work damn hard. During my time there, I saw technology and smart devices increase their presence and improve the management aspect of the farm. We use handheld windows, mobile devices, ugh, that scanned employee yeah. cards. That's what he says. He say, he's even, inserted, he even inserted the sound. That scanned the employee cards and each load brought to a – we brought that to a tractor and then we used the data generated from the workflow for employee payroll, estimated berry production versus total harvested, daily plot progress by regions of the farm, project seasonal harvest numbers were calculated, and prior to this, we would just use good old Nextel cell phones and pen and paper. The last season I worked there. We had sensors on all the pumps that would send mobile alerts or desktop alerts to let us know that something was going wrong with one of the pumps. Prior to this, it was just as loud. It was just a loud ass alarm. We also started using sensors on the trucks for weight and delivery estimates and some cool solar powered scarecrows. The only gripe I had with these devices was the crappy hardware and software made by the lowest bidder. If you think about it, Internet of Things or Brillo from Google has the potential in the egg industry. And from my experience, it's helped the management aspect so that farmers can do what we do, which is farming. Once again, love the show. Keep on keeping. Lee Dog. How about that? A farmer programmer wrote in to say he actually thinks it might help them manage some of this stuff to get the metrics and things like that. So Brillo, working on a farm, might not be so far-fetched. I can see it. I can see it. Thank you, Lee Dog. That was uh, a, a, a good perspective on that. Uh, now, we have two emails to get to. I say, uh, do you want to do both of them, or do you just want to pick one? What do you say? I, I, I think we just jump to the last one. You want to do Dylan's email? I, I really do. All right, so Dylan writes in, and he says, how do I start a business like Mike's? I'm a software developer that's about to finish school, and I really want to start my own business just like Mike's, doing custom software development, because I really want to work on my own hours and be my own boss. Hello, everybody. Uh, how could I even start to do that? Is the fact that I need to ask automatically disqualify me from being able to do it? What do you think, Mike? So should you do it, right? And and this is something I revisit uh, every once in a while. Like it, it, consulting is awful in a lot of ways, actually, um, but it's good too. So, and Chris, jump in anytime. But there are a couple keywords in here that that scare me, right? Um, you know, be my own boss, all of kind of the upside, but there doesn't seem to be any recognition of the huge, huge downside. Um, well, I mean, as in like, you know, could destroy your family and your life and lose everything kind of downside <laughs> like that one. That would be the one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a couple problems, right? What I, you know, I. When I initially got on the consulting path years ago, it was a lot easier, um, particularly in mobile, right? Because the supply and demand was so strongly in your favor, and the offshore guys hadn't yet caught up. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, can you do this app for us? We'll pay you twenty grand, right? A lot of like projects like that. 
that the client considered one-off projects. Um, that's kind of gone, right? A, a lot of people who are doing mobile apps are now hiring because they recognize that it's not a one-off project, right? It is legitimate software that needs to be maintained and updated and, and you know, at some point consultants become too expensive. Uh, the other thing is you're not just a developer who's your own boss. You need to be you know, salesman, right? Yes. Bookkeeper. Oh, good point. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, let me jump in right lawyer. here. So yeah, this, uh, Dylan, oh, man, this is, this is the thing to think about, too. You will not spend the majority of your time developing software if you go right. out on your own, especially as you're trying to find clients. And your clients are going to be small recommendations, word of mouth. You're going to have to build a very small network, find somebody right. who needs something that trusts you, build something for them that you can trust that they'll speak well about, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But what you will really find is you're, you're going to spend way more time than you ever want, which is going to be, if it's any time at all, it's way more time than you ever want uh, doing billing. Find something like FreshBooks to make that easier for you. Uh, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time putting a lot of the business things together. Think, you're going to have to think about things a lot that you haven't had to think about before. There's so much of your time is spent on the back end of the business when you own your own business that you know I, you get into it for podcasting in my case, and then you don't spend a lot of your time podcasting. You spend your time running a business. Right. I mean, one of the uh, you know one of the things that has has recently soured me on consulting. Or and I remember, I'm like our friend Evie, but less lazy. So you know, I've been doing it for a long time. Um, a, I, I would almost wish I was spending less time doing what I would generally call bookkeeping, right? Accounts receivable. Um, by the way, as a consultant, sometimes people don't pay you because there's no labor department that's going to come in and shut them down if they don't. Just to sort it out there, right? Yeah, and I guess, you know, depending on how much back in, like for me, I did hourly billing mostly, and that, you know, tracking right. all your hours, and my clients would want descriptions of what I spent that hourly time doing, breakdown right. by hour. Ugh. And if you're doing development, there is a lot of competition these days, and most of that competition is not doing hourly billing. So you're going to have to somehow bid on projects as a fixed bid, especially in the beginning, right, when you're not getting prestigious clients or clients who kind of know what they're doing. And, oh, I don't know, somehow guess what it should cost? Always keeping in mind that if you have no other work right now, you kind of need to make the sale. So don't think you're going to take your hourly rate as an employee, double it, charge that, and actually get that for the first couple years. Because that's just not going to happen. Um, you know, fr frankly, there are... I'm going to assume you want to do some sort of web or mobile development consulting because I think that's the majority of the listeners here. You have, you're going to have lots of competition. Uh, there's the obvious ones of other small consulting shops, right? Oh, and by the way, if you're an individual consultant, you are a consulting shop, period, because you, you, you just are. That's how, unless you're going on site every day, your client is going to see you as a vendor, and you're going to have to behave as a vendor with all the fun bookkeeping and invoicing things that Chris talks about. Um, so you're competing with other shops. You're competing with people who are maybe employees somewhere else but kind of want some side work if the project's small enough. You're competing with other people who might want to be employees of that company, right? And that represents a very attractive thing to the company because they have a lot more control over employees, tend to have more leverage, things like that. You're competing with Larger shops like Appster or, uh, you know, Fueled or any of these larger guys in Manhattan, and there's a bunch in California, who can offer more than you can offer in terms of, you know, they offer marketing services. They can get them ranked in the App Store. They have contacts at Apple. 
They have contacts at Google, right? Um, you're also competing with offshore companies. You're competing with American companies who pretend to be offshore and just have American customer service and offshore development who can always hammer you on price. Uh, so unless you have a really well-thought-out customer acquisition and customer uh, retention strategy, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to do what I did, which I-, I will be brutally honest. When I first got into it, I blundered my way into it, right, because there was just so much demand. I, I think I was fortunate. I kind of like J.B. Hawk of Truth recommendation because right. before I went into contracting on my own, I worked for a company that contracted me out. So I was an employee. I had health care. And all that stuff, yeah. and then they 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 contracted me out, and I I basically got to learn how to be a contractor while being an employee, uh, and so uh, there that there are companies out there that do that, and that's a good way to. Plus, Dylan doesn't sound like he has a lot of experience, so that'd be a really good way to learn experience it, without so having to manage the business. So that's the other problem. What what are how are you? And I've never done the uh, employee contractor thing. I've never done that. So, but that probably is an easier path. But what I would ask you, Dylan, is is why would someone hire you as a contractor rather than hire someone as a junior employee or an intermediate employee or, or possibly just a more experienced contractor. You, you need to think about these things. And I hate to say it, but your job is going to be salesman more than developer. Mm. Very true. Yeah, that is got to sell yourself. And that's one of the advantages of working for another company for a bit is they do the marketing, they sell the company, and then they just put you in the position. And you can you know, kind of watch how they do that and learn how to interact yeah. with people. I mean, if you can make it work, it can be very rewarding and very fun. But I would say it has never been harder. Um, yeah. I, just from what I'm seeing out there, I have never seen such a uh, I've been I've been thinking about drive. this. And uh, I've been thinking about this, too, uh, because I – Never done this, but I recently uh, uh, attended uh, in the last month. I attended two different local businesses groups, like uh, you know, like business owners get together and they meet up and right. they tell you they, it's like uh, you know they do it's like a referral group, which is not actually all that beneficial to me. <laughs> I don't need people. Yeah. Uh, I don't work on a, I don't work on a local scale either. Yeah. You know, but um, that said, I was able to observe. What developers in both groups? I met with two different groups, and in both groups there was a developer. And essentially, they are guys that work for themselves locally, and they right. just hyper hyper focus on local businesses. They just yep. t- like the local business needs a website. You know, it's a mom and pop store. They he, he does them a one off two thousand dollar website, and then a couple of years later he comes back and updates it a bit. And if they need an app, you know, he does a one off app, and he just he just he just manages it. So he's like. He's like the, the local he's the local IT guy kind of but he does more of the web app and and, and app development stuff yeah. and the, all the different businesses just refer him around and he's making a a decent well one of the guys I talked to I didn't talk to the other guy I just watched the other one guy actually the second guy actually sat down and talked to him he's making a decent living doing it and I don't know the other guy yeah. but the other guy is well known too I it was two I went to two I went uh, there's two towns there's a town up uh, by, around here called Burlington and the local town the studios in is Arlington I went to both towns and had these I went to these meetings, and uh, that seems to be an, a, a reasonable approach. But uh, to do that, you got to network. You're giving you gotta, away all my secrets. You got to get up at seven a.m. Go to the Sheridan for the breakfast. Yeah, you got to you got to yeah. attend to these meetings. Like that's a, nope. attendance is a big part, and you got to refer some business, and you really got to participate. Uh, but the, by by doing that, that's I, I gather the primary source of business for both these guys. You know, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, I, I am at something of a crossroads. You know, if I were to do it again and 
maybe I shouldn't say this, but I just I just decided to call up some of the big dev shops and be like, so how do you guys actually do sales? <laughs> you know, wondering if like what I used to do or what I currently did is insane, right? And one of them gave me the normal bullshit answer of, oh, it's referrals. If your work is good, you get referrals. Click buy. All right, so that's just a nice way. You know, whenever you tell someone referrals, you're saying. F you, right? I mean, that, that's really what that means. I guess because it's really saying, well, the only way is to get, yeah, the only way to get work is by having work. But the reality is it's true, but what everybody doesn't want to say is that, you know, let's, this is not who I called, but just for example, ThoughtBot's first clients probably sucked, right? Or they were referrals from their, the developers or the owner's previous employment history. Or friends and family. Or friends and family and stuff like that. That seems to be the thing. So if you're you're a young guy and you don't have a network yet, like I can't imagine if I was, you know, six years younger than I am now and I and I was starting the old business today, I have no idea what I would have done. If I had someone if I had like a family member who had a pretty successful business and they could use my services, that'd be such a great place to start. What an opportunity that would be. That yeah, so somewhere where you have an in, right? Or if you're one of your relatives is a is a high exec at some company, that yeah. would, that would help you. That's a dream. But you know, what what are you going to do? You're going to go on Craigslist and like try to pick up jobs that way? Or it's tough. And, and the answer is yeah, you are, Dylan. If you want to do it, I don't mean to discourage you at all. If you if you're really passionate about it, and you want to do it, do it. Well, the actually, is, is really picking up a few gigs initially off Craigslist all that bad? You know, make, no, that's what I'm saying. You make a website, go throw up a digital. Seriously. You guys, yeah. go throw up a DigitalOcean droplet, one-click deploy Ghost or WordPress, set it all up for them, make it nice, and then you can transfer it to them. You're going to end up having to do uh, small jobs right in the beginning that are way below what you should be making, and they're going to be dumb, and they're going to, you know, if you're doing apps, they're going to be clones of apps that already exist that you know aren't going to succeed, right? But that's the way it is. Um, hmm, that is. So I really recommend that you go become a janitor. Um, but. <laughs> well, I actually – I think some of the best contractors are the ones that have worked the 9-to-5 jobs too. So yeah. I mean, if you your long, long-term goal is being your own boss, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have experience in companies. And then if you think about it in that light, the company you pick to go work for isn't such a big decision because you know that's not your end destination. That's just part of the path and it's not such a big decision at that point. Because well, it's not only that. It's – if your passion is developing software, contracting is going to take you as far from that as possible while still being in the industry. <laughs> Unfortunately, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. That's a nine to five gives you the chance if you're lucky to just really emerge yourself as much as re- realistically possible. Being that there's meetings and events and lunches and all that stuff, but as much as realistically possible, you can just immerse yourself in a technology. And, you know, as long as you don't live there forever, you can use that to build out your skill set. Learn interpersonal skills. Learn how to deal with tricky managers, which you can translate to tricky clients later on. Those oh, are all good yes. skills. And just just don't go work for Disney because, damn. <laughs> all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, we do all have right. a few pieces of information to pass on to the audience before we get the heck out of here. Coda Radio is live on a Monday. Go over to jblive.tv. We do this show noon. Uh, Pacific time, which that's 3 p.m. Eastern. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. But if you're curious to see what Mr. Dominic is up to throughout the week when he's not on Coda Radio, Mr. Dominic, where should people go? Just go to uh, dominicm.com or follow me on Twitter at Dominuco. And also check out Buccaneer Tech, right? You're on Twitter. That's true. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, at Buccaneer Tech. There's always interesting things developing there. 
Dirty pictures of Chris. Oh, yes. Don't forget, I have a new Twitter account. It's the same name, but a new account. Chris LES. You have to refollow that. And the network's at Jupiter Signal for show announcements, updates, things like that. We'd love to also get your feedback. Go to coderadio.reddit.com or go to the feedback page. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coder Radio from the drop down. And then we'll read your feedback on a future edition of the Coder Radio program. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coder Radio. See you right back here next week. Mm